Mark comes. And at this time, those going to Children's Church can head out that back corner door there. Uh, and as the children are leaving, I'm going to just uh, fill in a few more details on one of Nick's announcements. Uh, December th- uh, 17th, the, the annual Christmas program at the church. Like family traditions, we have a lot of church traditions for the Christmas program. And, uh, and uh, one of those is that break that he talked about in the middle. Well, there's a purpose for that break. Uh, everybody uh, is invited to bring any type of Christmas goodie they want to bring, and we're going to spread them out on tables in the background there, and we'll have a time of fellowship uh, during that, uh, that midpoint. And so bring whatever Christmas goodie you feel like to share, and, and we'll just have a great time of fellowship between the two halves of the Christmas program. Also with the Christmas program is this is an opportunity for people who want to share musically. Uh, if you've got um, maybe children that are working on a Christmas recital piece or this type of thing, uh, they want to do that, let us know about this. It's time for a lot of people to be able to share uh, uh, their gifts with the church that way. So that's all going on. But... Uh, that's a few weeks away. We just finished Thanksgiving, and uh, I hope uh, and trust that everyone in here was able to have a wonderful Thanksgiving together. I always love getting together with family, and we were able to do that this year. I, I hope uh, you were able to do that as well. Family, good friends, people that you love, it's a chance to be able to, to get together and do that. And uh, at our family, we, we uh, had different people assigned to bring uh, foods, you know, so it doesn't all fall the burden on one person. And uh, uh, we had, uh, my mom was going to bring a, a pie and I was bringing a pie. And, you know, we decided it wouldn't hurt to have a little extra and some other people showed up with pie. And, and <laughs> as it turned out, we had six pies for 17 people. And uh, it was awesome. And, and uh, I, I did fail. I have to admit I failed. I was only able to have five uh, of the six pies. Um, <laughs> But, but it worked out pretty well. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, a, 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 another thing about Thanksgiving is it's a time to think about and maybe in your family articulate those things that you are thankful for. You look back over the past year and you find those things that you're grateful for and express them together. But let me ask you a question. What if there wasn't one good thing that you could be thankful for in this last year. How many of you remember the kids' book, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day? I can tell a few of you remember that one. The story basically goes like this. From the very moment that Alexander woke up in the morning, nothing goes his way. The chewing gum that he had in his mouth when he went to bed is in his hair. When he wakes up, gets sitting down at the breakfast table, his brothers, Nick and Anthony, they both find a prize in their breakfast cereal. He gets nothing. On the way to school in the carpool, he doesn't get a window seat. At school, the teacher, she criticizes him for singing too loud and then publicly scolds him for skipping the number 16 during counting time. At lunch, he sits down with his friends Philip has two cupcakes for dessert. 
Albert has a Hershey bar. Paul has a jelly roll with coconut sprinkles. His mom forgot. He had nothing in his lunchbox. After school, he had to go to the dentist. At the dentist, he discovered he had a cavity. Afterwards, Nick pushes him into a mud puddle, and he starts crying because he's wet and muddy. So Nick calls him a crybaby. Therefore, he punches Nick right when his mom shows up. (laughs) So his mom punishes him for being muddy and punching his brother. At home, they have lima beans for supper. How could it possibly get worse than lima beans for supper? When he finally gets to go to bed, after getting soap in his eyes during the bath, his nightlight burns out and he bites his tongue. It was a horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day. Nothing went right. What if you had not a day, but a year like that? Tragedy, heartache, pain, turmoil, loss. I mean, that was your constant companion, it seemed, all year long. And now Thanksgiving rolls around, and you know you're supposed to be thankful, but everything's been bad. What do you do then? Well, I would tell you, you grab your Bible and you open up to the book of Habakkuk. If you can't find Habakkuk, Nick made a a nice little video to help uh, people find that because Habakkuk's not one of those easy books that you quickly find. But if you do find that, open it up uh, to chapter 3. There's only three chapters in the book. The final chapter is is an entire prayer, a closing prayer. But we're just going to look at the last four verses of that prayer. Habakkuk chapter 3, starting at verse 16. And going through 19, it says this, I heard, and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones, and in my place I tremble, because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, Though the yield of the olive should fail and the field produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me to walk on my high places. Father God, we are grateful for the opportunity we've had to be able to worship in, in fellowship and in song and giving and in praying this morning. And now as we worship through the study of your word, we pray that your spirit would be free to work in our hearts, in our lives, that you would will and to work according to your good pleasure. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I suppose if a, if a person read just verse 16 there, and that's all you knew about the book of Habakkuk and and this situation and what was going on there, you might think that it could be entitled Habakkuk and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Only it wasn't going to be just a day. This terrible, horrible period was going to last for 70 years. 
Now, if you're not familiar, we would do just a little bit of background here to help us set the stage for what's going on. For years, in fact, for decades, God had been sending prophets to the nation of Israel, warning them of this impending doom and judgment if they would not, as a nation, repent and return to God. And see, it's not just that they were, you know, kind of ignoring God or disregarding His ways. They were actively seeking after and worshiping false gods. And they were aggressively involved in doing those things that God had expressly condemned and specifically told them that they should avoid. But God, you know, being loving and patient, sent numerous prophets to warn the nation of this peril and disaster that was waiting for them if they insisted on continuing to walk down this road of rebellion to its end. And as a whole, the nation refused to take heed and to listen. And as such, over the course of years then, the message of the prophets began to change. Early on, the message of the prophets was repent and turn so that you can avoid this terrible fate. But as time went on, the message changed to you better get ready. Here comes the judgment. And Habakkuk was one of those later prophets who was saying, here it comes. You better be ready. In fact, Habakkuk was prophesying during that time when the nation that God was going to use, Babylon, was beginning to rise up in power. Uh, Up until that point, you know, recently in the history of the nation, the world power had been Assyria. That's who everybody was afraid of. And and the Babylonians, they were more or less just kind of a a neighborhood bully uh, that was beginning to grow in a little bit power. But under uh, King uh, Nabopolassar and his military genius son, a guy named Nebuchadnezzar, they began expanding in power. In, in 605, they finally marched up to take care of the Assyrians for once and for all so that they could establish themselves as the world power. And so they marched up and near the capital city of Nineveh, they defeated the Assyrians in the Battle of Carchemish. And and the Assyrians had even enlisted the help of the Egyptians uh, to fight against Babylon, but it didn't do any good. They they defeated them. And, and, you know, this kind of ticked off the the Babylonians that the Egyptians would come up and help them. So they decided after the battle, these victorious but very angry warriors said, we're going to go down and take care of Egypt. And guess who's right between Nineveh and Egypt? Israel. Now, Babylon had no idea. Uh, They thought they were just on their way to Israel and kind of take care of the things in between. But God was using them to be His hand of judgment upon the rebellious nation of Israel. And it was going to be a very fearsome, devastating judgment of ruin and death and destruction. Those left alive, at least most of them, would be deported to Babylon. And the prophecy was that they would spend the next 70 years there in servitude to this foreign nation in power. And Habakkuk, he was the prophet to whom God shared the details of how bad, how utterly horrible this judgment and devastation would be. How exactly Babylon would come in and crush them as a nation. 
And that's why, as he got that description, he describes his reaction in verse 16, right? I heard, and my inward parts trembled at the sound of my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones, and in my place I tremble, because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. Gut twisting, shaking, lips quivering, no strength in your bone. I mean, that's a Hollywood-worthy description of intense dread and, and fear. And Habakkuk, he's honest enough with God to say, man, this is exactly the way I've been feeling. His people, his country, his home, everything he knew was just going to be crushed and overrun. Husbands, Brothers, fathers would be killed as they hopelessly attempted to defend themselves and, and, and stop the encroaching judgment of God. Families would be ripped apart. Homes would be destroyed. Material possessions, lifelong savings would be plundered and, and wiped out. Thousands would be taken into captivity and forced into servitude in this, in this foreign land. This was the day of distress that Habakkuk was speaking of. And notice he says, I, I, I must. I must wait quietly for that day. Uh, this is not the must of forced obligations, such as I must pay my taxes or get thrown in jail type of thing. Uh, this is the must of acceptance and self-determination. In other words, uh, he has come to the conclusion that the only right way forward, the best possible action, the most appropriate path was for him to wait quietly. It, it could be translated as, I will do this. I will wait. And, and quietly. Quietly is the descriptive word he uses for his waiting. That means he's not waiting with a frantic heart or overwhelmed, a mind that's overwhelmed with anxiety. He is waiting in a position of trust. But what he's waiting for are these days of complete devastation that God says will happen for the rest of his days on, on, on earth. Now we need to understand Habakkuk was you know, a very specific situation that's different from ours. We cannot uh, uh, take verses that were specifically uh, directed at what was going on at that time period in Israel and then try to directly apply them to our lives as if the exact same thing should or would happen to us. Uh, they, they were part of a nation that was specifically set apart uh, for God's own possession and as a whole people, they were supposed to be under the rulership uh, of God and subject to them. Uh, and, and the warning was against, what, what they were doing. And, and so uh, things are not exactly the same for us today. But at the same time, uh, God makes it clear that in all of Scripture, every part of Scripture, there is uh, an application and a lesson for all of us to learn. 
uh, I, I've shared this before and I know that I'm going to share it again as we go along because it's important for us to, to be reminded and to remember uh, these things. But, but Paul wrote to the Corinthians and, 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 and said this about how we should understand the Old Testament. Uh, it's true for the Christians back then and it's true for Christians in our day. 1 Corinthians 10.11 says, Now these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages has come. So although the the specifics might be different, it's the principle that still applies to us. And part of what applies to us out of the book of Habakkuk is that we will face some terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days, just like Habakkuk, just like his people did. And see, the truth is, God might allow or specifically bring into our life some calamity some hardship, some trial as a means of discipline and chastisement. The Bible makes it very clear that if we purposely, rebelliously walk away from God in His ways, I'm going to do my own thing, I'm going to do what I want to do, that God will bring discipline into our lives for the purpose of, of drawing us back to Him. Book of Proverbs, chapter 3, it says, My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father, the son in whom he delights. Sometimes, sometimes, calamity is God's discipline in our life. But at the same time, I think it's very important for us to make sure we understand that not every hardship that comes into your life is some form of of divine chastisement as if you were being punished for having done something wrong. There are other reasons why hardship and trials come into our life. There are times where God allows us to face this this hardship as a test, uh, a means of refining our faith. Or, or, or as a way to help us to learn to trust and to grow in our faith. There are other times where we have to remember we live in a fallen world. It's broken, and in its brokenness, bad things happen. Natural disasters, disease, government, and economic corruption, I mean, those are things that can affect people on a massive scale and those things will hurt believers and unbelievers alike. Individual sins such as burglaries, murder, sexual abuse, rape, um, and, and more, those types of things are perpetrated against both the saved and the unsaved. And seemingly seemingly random events such as car accidents, falling down the stairs. Those are things that are going to happen to all people. And suffering, whether it's on this massive scale that Habakkuk was facing or or something smaller like breaking your arm, suffering is going to be a part of this life because evil is alive and well in this world. And unlike Habakkuk, Oftentimes, in fact, I would say almost all the time, we will not know that it's about to hit us, 
right? Habakkuk was there to warn them, it's coming right now. We don't usually get that warning. And sometimes it's the surprise of the event coming into our lives that, that really threatens to topple us. You know, I hope, I hope that we have discovered as we've been doing this series on following Jesus in a messy world in Second in, uh, Corinthians, uh, I hope that we recognize from that that suffering shouldn't surprise us, right? Uh, the Bible over and over again warns that hardships and trials and, and for the believer, persecution because of your faith in Jesus Christ, those are things that can be and should be expected to enter into our life. But for some reason, when suffering comes, it still seems to surprise us. And it's in that surprise that we might ask, what do I do? And we begin to get the answer for that as we keep moving on. We don't get the answer, but we get the setup for the answer in in the next verse, verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olives should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. Okay, so he's describing uh, this impending devastation uh, that's, that's coming and what their life is going to be like. There's going to be this complete economic ruin. No fruit from the trees, no crop in the fields, no, no cattle uh, uh, in, in the fields, no sheep or cows in the pens. But, but remember, it's actually even worse than that. Israel was by and large an agrarian society and it was made up mostly of these small family farms. And so what he is describing here is the utter destruction and desolation of these individual families. This is what it looks like after war when you've been completely defeated and annihilated by the enemy. Everything is gone and it's cut off. What do you do when life seems to be in ruins around you? When pain and heartache has been your lot? And now Thanksgiving rolls around and you know you're supposed to be thankful, but your heart is actually filled with hurt and you're thinking, give me one good reason why I should be thankful. That's the situation that Habakkuk is describing. Everything good has been cut off. So what do you do? Look at verse 18. Yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in in the God of my salvation. The word yet is incredibly important to understanding the answer to the question that we're asking. What do we do when everything is bad? Because see, yet does not deny the pain. Yet affirms the reality that these bad things are going on in your life. This is not some uh, Buddhist or, or Christian science uh, type of teaching that says you simply deny the bad things uh, in your life are real. You know, uh, they, those religions, they, they teach you that you're supposed to just convince yourself that any hurt or any pain is just an illusion. For Christians, we admit that the hurt is there and that it is real. But there's a yet. There's a yet, meaning there is a choice on how we're going to respond to these hurting situations, the hardships of life. When everything has gone wrong, Habakkuk says he will still 
choose to rejoice and exult in the Lord. And I, I think too often people believe that exalting in the Lord is one of those things that's only done when everything is going well, when your circumstances are good, when the trees are full of fruit and the field is, is full of grain and the barns are stuffed with cattle and you've got an excess. And then we go, yay, God, you're so good, God. Thank you for all these great things. And we exult in God when all the circumstances are good. But you know what that means? The, the bad part about that is it bases God's goodness on your circumstances. And what Habakkuk is saying here is that God is good even when the circumstances are bad. So how is that possible? I mean, if God is this God, how is it possible when everything's falling apart and life is in ruins and your dreams are shattered and your hopes are crushed and everything seems to be falling apart, how is it that God is still good in that situation? And that's where the last phrase of verse 18 is important because it gives us that description of God which says He is the God of my salvation. No matter what's going on, no matter what you are facing in this life, God is the one who saves. And in the Hebrew language, that word salvation means both physical, temporal salvation as well as, um, as, well as the one who saves in the ultimate spiritual sense of eternity. And both of those aspects are true. Habakkuk was facing some horrible physical circumstances, ones that made him quiver with fear, right, and, and moan with heartache. And yet he knew. He knew God was his salvation, here's the key, through those circumstances. It didn't mean that God was going to get him out of it, or eliminate those bad situations in his life, he was still going to have to go through all that same devastation as everyone else. But it meant that God would be his sustaining strength every day through them. Look at verse 19. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. If there's one thing, one thing, that we need to make it through the day or the week or the year when everything has gone wrong. It's a strength that's greater than our own. Have you ever felt like you don't have enough strength to keep going on? Maybe you don't even have enough strength to get out of bed in the morning. But you know what? That's okay. Because being in that position reminds you that what you really need is someone else's strength. And Habakkuk tells us that strength is God. He's the only one who can carry us through these days of distress. 
I, I love the way Isaiah um, uh, puts this. God makes a promise through the prophet Isaiah, who also you know, predicted these horrible things that would be coming to the nation. And through him, God said, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. Notice in that verse that God is not keeping you from or taking away the flood or the fire, right? They're still there. You're going through them. But the point is that God is your salvation. He is going to walk with you through the flame, through the flood. Be by your side to guide, to strengthen, to sustain you in that. It's a fallacy that people say, come to God and all your problems in life will disappear. But it's absolute truth that God will never forsake us, never leave us as we walk through the worst devastation with Him at our side. And part of what strengthens us to face those bad days is the truth that God is not only our salvation here on earth, that He's going to walk with me through whatever I'm facing, but we have the promise of that eternal spiritual salvation as well. This life is not all there is. This is not as good as it gets. God is our eternal salvation as well. We have a new life coming where there'll be no such thing as bad circumstances to get under. I'm sure you've never said anything when somebody asks you, how's it going? You say, not bad under the circumstances. And that's, you're telling them because everything's so bad, I guess I'm doing okay in the middle of this. Well, hey, we have a life coming where there's going to be no bad circumstances to get under. We'll be able to know that pain and heartache are nothing but a forgotten memory. Trials and tribulations will no longer exist. Joy and satisfaction and contentment will fill our hearts day in and day out. And because of that, Habakkuk is able to exult and rejoice in God. Even though his lips are quivering. Even though his current circumstances are nothing but devastation. And knowing that God is his salvation allows him to rise above the circumstances to, as verse 19 says, walk on my high place. You notice that? That he said, my high place? Typically we think of walking on the high places. But it was very personal because here's the thing he was going to be able to have a spiritual mountaintop experience right in the middle of these devastating circumstances, right in the middle of this terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. He uh, needed one good reason, and he found it. And that reason is the fact that God is still God. He's in control, and he is good. And Habakkuk was able to get to that position of, of going from fear of what he was facing 
to the mountaintop experience because he remembered who God was. If you go back, and I would encourage you to do this, and just read all of chapter 3 of Habakkuk. It's a prayer. And in this prayer, he moved from that place of fear to the mountaintop. And he did it through two means. First of all, if you read the beginning of the prayer, he talked about the splendor of who God was. He reminded himself of the majesty and the glory of God. And then after that, he started reciting some of the great and awesome works of God. And as he did that, he moved to the mountaintop. And you know what? We can do the same thing today. Remember his splendor. Start reciting to yourself the attributes of God, who he is. Great is your faithfulness. He is a God of love. He's the God of all comfort. He's the God of hope. He's the God who doesn't break promises, who cannot lie. Start talking about the splendor of God and then remind yourself of His awesome works in the past. I mean, and you can go to Scripture and start going through the awesome works of God through there as He has treated His people, but you can probably go to your own life too, can't you? And remember, this is what God has done for me. And as you do that, you'll get a fresh vision of the greatness of God. And your mountaintop experience isn't because of the fact that everything is going great. It's because of the fact that God is great and He's your God, the God of your salvation. Therefore, we can always be thankful. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful that you are the God of our salvation, that no matter what we're facing in life, we can look at the cross and remember that Jesus Christ came for us, died for us, lives for us, so that we might have new life. That you're the God who saves, that you will never leave us or forsake us. You will walk through every circumstance with us, and you are the God who saves. We have new life coming, and we can count on these things and know that you are a great and awesome God, always by our side. So we are thankful and grateful for who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing song may be new to some of you. I know how much many of you like new songs, but you may have heard this on KSLT or KGFP. You'll learn it easily because it's easily to, easy to follow. And it's also a good conclusion to Mark's message that we can rejoice in saying hallelujah for the cross. Let's stand and sing together.
cross of Calvary, my Savior went courageously, and there he bled and died for me. Hallelujah for the cross. And on that day the world was changed, a final perfect lamb was slain. Let earth and heaven now proclaim, hallelujah for the cross. 